Hello, and welcome to the first episode of The War in Our Stars, a... I don't know what the description catchphrase of the podcast will be, but it is a Star Wars Expanded Universe podcast. Uh, we're starting with the X-Wing series by Michael A. Stackpole, and I want to say the other guy's name is Alan Alston? Is that... Grogu. No, it's not Grogu. Grogu <laughs> didn't write It was this. Grogu. It wasn't Grogu. It was Grogu. Aaron, Alst- Aaron Alston. Aaron Alston. Um, I was going to see how long I could keep not speaking, and then it just got too bad. <laughs> so, uh, I'm Nora. I'm... I'm uh, Olivia. Yeah. You're my... You're going to be my wingmate for this book. Okay. We Am read... going to get shot? Uh, maybe. We read... X-Wing, book one, Rogue Squadron, by Michael A. Stackpole. So, uh... Corrin Horn. Corrin Horn. We're gonna do, um... We're gonna kinda take a page out of another podcast and book, because podcasts are books. Um, or a flimsy, I think it's called in Star Wars. Uh, Hmm? I don't think they have paper in Star Wars. This is, we're back to the expanded universe. Um... Anyway, we're going to describe the plot of Rogue Squadron in five sentences. Mm-hmm. Do you want to trade off sentences, or one of us does it? Um, if I do it, then I set the precedent of me doing it on every episode. Yeah, I'll volunteer then. Okay. Okay, you ready? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna type that. I'm gonna type this to to just get my bearings. Is that is that permitted? Uh, sure. Okay, sentence the first number podcast. One. You can do whatever you want. Sentence number one. Wedge Antilles sets out to reform the legendary rogue squadron as a symbol for the Republic. Boom. The new Republic. The new Republic. My bad. He recruits a totally forgettable cast of characters, <laughs> including two whole protagonists. In parentheses, one of them doesn't do anything in this book. Is that uh, Jace? That's Gavin Dark. That's Gavin oh. Darklighter, brother oh, okay. of <laughs> brother of Big no, Darklighter. I think cousin of cousin of Big Darklighter. Yes. Um, Rogue Squadron trains for their missions and gets to know each other. While, meanwhile, and. Imperial intelligence officer tries to hunt them down and kill them. Mm -hmm. The squad is eventually deployed on a mission to capture a world that will serve as a forward base for the new republic's eventual 
Invasion of Coruscant. Final sentence. The mission goes very badly. (laughs) And a lot of people die. Comma. But then, Corrin Horn, comma, (laughs) the big dick boy, comma, comes up with a cool plan that saves the mission. And things are okay. Perfect. That's my excellent. Fi- that's my five sentence summary. Um. So we're gonna do a little bit of a roll call. Okay, we are doing this bit. All right. How about how about you give me the names of each member of Rogue Squadron, and I'll okay. tell you like who they are as yeah, a pitch. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. um, we're gonna go in order of call mm-hmm. sign. Mm-hmm. For the Rogue Squadron. There are mm-hmm. 13 members of Rogue Squadron. We yeah, start with I definitely Ro- remember all of them. Okay. The Rogue Null is Captain Tycho Selchu, a human male from Alderaan. Mm-hmm. He is he is an he is a former Rogue Squadron guy. He's an ace pilot, but he was captured by the Imperials and then escaped from custody. And because he escaped from custody, nobody trusts him, except for Wedge, who because- is his husband. Um, <laughs> he was also, before he was in Rogue Squadron, he was also a, an ex-Imperial who defected after Alderaan yeah. got blown. Well, they're all ex-Imperials, though, right? Isn't that the thing? Like, Biggs, Darklighter, and Wedge, like, went to Imperial Academy, you know? I don't remember if Wedge did, but Biggs definitely did, because, like, yeah. in the Academy, they defected. Yeah, so, like, they're, I mean, a lot of them are ex-Imperials, is the thing. Corrin yeah. Horn is an Imperial cop. Like, this yeah. mo- this this book has some well, weird ideas about what makes you part of the Empire and what doesn't make you part of the Empire. It's, it's complicated because he's, he's, he's Corellia security, right? The planet. Yeah, but Corellia, Corellia is an Imperial world. Yes. Thus, thus, he is an Imperial cop. Let's not get it twisted. I mean, it's. This is like trying to argue that, like, he's not a United... Like, this is like trying to argue that, like, a cop from Utah is not, like, a United... Like, an agent of the United States. Yes, he is. It's... I think it's a little bit more complicated than that because it's space and it's so much bigger. Yeah, but also this is Star Wars and, like, distance doesn't matter ever. Because, like, Corellia Security also existed before the Empire. Yeah, and then they got folded into the Empire. Uh, I'm, just saying, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that there aren't stormtroopers in Corsac. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Awful. Okay, so nobody trusts Tycho, which is why he's rogue null. Because the only way that Wedge could get him onto the team was to have him like be the be the, the like trainer and guy who never pilots a real ship. He's the uh, XO. Every- yeah, everybody thinks he's a spy. Um, and we know that there is a spy in Rogue Squadron, which means Tycho is not the spy. <laughs> like, I I've accident- read a book before. I accidentally found out who the spy is. Um, you should and- tell me. 
because I think I I think I've I, read these books before and forgotten them, but I'm pretty sure I know who the spy is. You have. So they just weren't these books. They were just random books because everything that happens in this book you can see coming, and it's like <laughs> uh, just kind of basic storytelling to be co- to like as a framing device for cool spaceships. Mm-hmm. So give me give me the next rogue. Next up We've is rogue with Tycho. So rogue the so the one slot is usually the leader. So rogue leader mm-hmm. commander Wedge Antilles, human male from Corellia. He's the guy from the movies. We love that guy. You remember him? You know what he looks like? Yeah, he looks like a fucking little nerd, <laughs> right? He kind of looks like a fucking little nerd. I'm gonna post his picture in the in the podcast chat in the Discord. Yeah, yeah. He just looks like a fucking little nerd. Um, except he, <laughs> yeah, look at him. Yeah. It looks like you could push him over, <laughs> and he would just fall. Um, but he's like, but he's like a legendary war hero, and everybody's like, "Damn, he's so cool!" Because he's um, got two Death Stars painted on his ship. There are there are three protagonists in this book. Wedge is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the writer didn't think that Wedge could be like the actual protagonist because he's too established. So he created Corrin Horn, and we'll get to Corrin later. Yeah. So when they they paint all of his kills on his X-wing, yeah, and they have to do it so that each drawing of a ship represents like twelve because he's so cool, and he's got two Death Stars on there because he did this- two Death Star runs. This book has a major problem with like mythologizing Star Wars char- characters. Um, and I think Wed- Wedge gets hit really hard with this. Like, yeah. Bro, he is just a guy. Like, he's just some nerd that like Luke makes friends with in the movie who happens to survive the Death Star. And then this book wants to tell me he's like fighter pilot ace man. Well, also, like every other character from the first movie who died in the trench run is was a legend. And you'll never yeah. live up to the legend. Um, except, except that like, there's some, there's like one chapter where they acknowledge that like this construction of them as legends was something the New Republic came up with, but then the rest of the book just takes it entirely seriously. Yeah. Except when they're reminding you that Porkins was like a fat guy who died because he was so fat and bad at piloting. He was bad at piloting, which is not actually what happened in the movie. Mm-hmm. He got shot. He didn't mm-hmm. like fuck up a turn, but the book also just has a bad like perception of what happened in that movie because it paints the picture that Luke always knew he had to do it and Biggs and Wedge always knew that Luke had to be the one to do it uh, mm-hmm. which is not the case in that movie. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> Star Wars lately. <laughs> this book has not seen Star Wars lately. But anyway, uh let's go Rogue 2. Rogue 2 Rogue 2 is Peshk Vrisik, Bothan male from Bothawui. I know nothing about him. I you didn't think it would Peshk? be. I didn't think it would be Rogue Two, where I would say like I don't know anything about this guy, but I don't know who the <laughs> fuck this guy is. He doesn't do anything important in this book. Let's move on. He does do one thing important. <sighs> Fine. I feel so like we're Vri- spending too much time on these guys. Oh, this is the book. Like, okay. If we want to talk about the actual machinations of the plot, like two things happen. Like the okay, the whole thing is like the squad is the is the story. But mm-hmm. um, Vrissik's assignment was also politically motivated. The Bothans wanted a member of their species represented in the New Republic's flagship squadron because their spies had uncovered the location of the seven, second Death Star, which Rogue Squadron subsequently assisted in destroying. 
Um, although inexperienced, he was an excellent pilot, and his training scores, along with the rest of squadron, the squadron's new recruits, were better than those of many frontline combat units. Mm-hmm. This is a recurring theme of newbie pilots who are who are just incredibly excellent pilots. I actually, don't worry about it. Vrissik was killed during the first battle of Borleas when a heavy ion cannon blast destroyed his X-wing starfighter. Right. That's why I don't remember him because he just gets shot in one of the action scenes and dies. Right. In the the one that goes bad. Yeah. Before he's not the first one of the big them to dick die. boy comes up with his cool plan. <laughs> uh. So. Rest in, peace. Three. Re- rest in peace, Pashk Vrissik. Rogue 3 is Noara Ven, a Twi'lek male from Ryloth. This is the lawyer, right? Yes. What I remember about him is he's a lawyer, and he has a girlfriend who's on the squad, and yes. they're great for each other. He yeah. starts a lot of conversations by walking up and being like, as a guy who used to be a lawyer. <laughs> That's yep. his entire character. He's the he's the team nerd. He's basically a protocol droid. <laughs> uh, uh, we're gonna have a talk about that protocol droid. Oh yeah, that's, that's, protocol droid's shady as hell. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to moderate myself when I talk about this protocol droid. Rogue Four, Bror Jace, human male from Thyphera. He is he is the Severus Snape of this book because. <laughs> Because the main character thinks he is the worst guy in the whole fucking world. But if you actually think about him, he seems pretty normal. He seems pretty normal. He's like a guy. Yeah, he's like, he's like linked to, he's one of the BACTA people, right? He's like linked to the biggest, like, one of the biggest BACTA producing families. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. he's a, they're all kind of political appointments. Um, But he's one of them. He is like the rival for Ace. Among the new guys, like nobody can beat Wedge, man, but he's gonna be—he's gonna try to be number two. He's in a rivalry with Corrin Horn, um, and Corrin thinks he's like the world's biggest asshole. But he actually seems every time we actually see him talk, he seems like a pretty decent person. He seems like a competitive jock, but like not to the extent that he ever compromises a mission to be yeah. cool. And this is kind of a thing with the book. Like this book is really afraid of of character conflict um either that or incompetent <laughs> at writing character conflict mm. um but i i jace uh, bro jace is not quite this but he's just written in a way that just he just doesn't reflect the character that the point of view character thinks that he is he just, he just seems like a pretty he's, stand-up guy yeah he's way more mild than uh corin horn's like narration of him is and he's just <laughs> like He's competitive and he's he's a little bit egotistical, but he's he's not like a villain about it. Yeah, they're all a bunch of like fighter pilot jocks. Like they're yeah. all competitive and a little egotistical. <laughs> that's like how, Korn- that's how that's what they use that to keep them all sharp. Is like they all yeah. keep score of their kills so that they can push each other to be better. Yeah, it's this really shitty thing Corin does where he like doesn't see any of the other characters as like potential rivals. Jace is the only one that he sees as being, like, potentially on his level. So he treats Jace like Jace is some kind of, like, sicko. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Corrin is a little freak, but he's Rogue 7 or something, right? So we'll, I keep saying Rogue, we'll get to him, but... Ro- Rogue 5. Gavin Darklighter, human male from Tatooine. Woo! A local boy. 
Uh, Gavin Darklighter is like the third. He's the third fake protagonist, even though we still have to get to Corin. Um, he is Biggs Darklighter's cousin. Now, if you don't remember Biggs Darklighter, <laughs> he's the guy from A New Hope who has the porn mustache. Yeah. yeah. Also, the, the image of Gavin Darklighter on the Wikipedia page. If I if I send Olivia a picture of one of the characters, it's probably just the main picture from the Wikipedia page if you want to go find it. But in this main Gavin Darklighter photo, this is from later on in the timeline uh, when he's more of an adult. Uh, he just looks like the guy from Clerks. He does. <laughs> it's like, what if the guy... This is like how the guy... This is like how Dante from Clerks sees himself. Like yes. When Dante from Clerks imagines himself as like the protagonist of the world, this is what he looks like. <laughs> I thought Gavin Darklighter was blonde the entire book, and I guess that's because in my head he was just Luke Skywalker. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but he does nothing in this book. Like He's tall. Re- it's like a major plot point in the beginning of the book that they want to put him on the squad, despite the fact that he's fucking 16 years old. Um, but they put him on the squad as like a favor to Biggs, who is dead. Bro, we're going to honor your memory by getting your cousin killed. Yeah. Um, but then by it doesn't do your, anything in the book. By putting your cousin in the spec ops. <laughs> he just doesn't do anything. Like, he's in the fights, but yeah. he doesn't do anything. He's it's the worst like, pilot on the team, and that's, like, part of the big thing between Corrin and Jace's, like, rivalry is that, like, mm-hmm. Corrin agrees to, like, okay, we're starting fresh, and also we're, we're going to average my kills and... Uh, Gavin's kills together uh, we're going to average them between us and I'll still beat you in kills stupid plot point it goes nowhere Doesn't in this mean book it. there's nine there's eight more books but, but I'm not Bro too Jesus interested gonna in get killed huh? that's like this, that's the end of this book they're going to kill Bro Jace the they say they're going to I think he's going to die we'll see um yeah, anyway, Gavin Darklighter. Not, not much more to say about Gavin. He's big and he's like empathetic, I guess, is like his character trait. Or maybe just timid. Um, mm-hmm. So not much else to say. Yeah. Next up, we have Rogue Six, Riv Shiel, a Shistavanan male from Uvena 3. Now, this the is... other species we've mentioned so far, Bothans and Twi'leks, I assume most people listening to a Star Wars book podcast know what those are. Shistavanans... I'm going to look up what a Bothan looks like. Well, <laughs> keep it's complicated because they took out all Bothan faces in New Canon, but... <laughs> uh, because they had just, just haven't visually shown up in New Canon yet, I don't think. But uh-huh. Shistavanans are the wolfmen. If you remember the wolfman from the cantina scene in A New Hope. Uh, they are just wolfmen. They're pretty cool. Um, mm, this is the one who's like, um, who's like some sort of criminal, right? Like he killed a bunch of people. He has an imperial death mark out on him. Yes. Corrin uh, Horn is like weirdly not interested in him, despite the fact that Corrin has like incredible cop brain, but like he kind of doesn't care that this guy's like a multiple killer. But they describe they they explain why that happened because they killed stormtroopers. Stormtroopers wanted a rebel a rebel named Lax Sivrak, uh, and mistook him for that rebel and attacked him, and he killed them in self defense and earned a death mark. 
Mm-hmm. I guess that's just Corrin's, like, fucked up cop morality. But yeah, he's, he's, he's Dogman. He's Dogman. I don't, I also think he doesn't do anything. Right? He is... Oh, we lost one of our recording robots, but it's fine. Um, he is, uh, tough and big and intimidating in, like, person-to-person sense. Um, and I think he growls at somebody who doesn't understand what the soldiers are really going through at at some point in a scene or something like that, you know? That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Rogue Seven. Rosati Yinner. What? Human female from Vespin. Wait, wait, what number is Corn Horn? Nine. What the (laughs) fuck? I thought he was Rogue Seven this whole time. No, it's nine. It's Rogue Nine. Is this the lawyer's girlfriend? Yes. Ha ha! Woo! Got it in one. She's from Cloud City. You might remember that from the movies. Whoa, that was in the movie that I saw. Star Wars. Uh, she's just a pretty lady. Yeah. We gotta talk about this book's thing about women, eventually. We'll get there. It's not super interesting, but it has a thing about women. What kind of shape do you think Rosada Yuner is? Um, she's definitely hot, and definitely skinny, probably. What what kind of word would you... Not not skinny. Not skinny. Not, you know, because we're not gonna... We're not going to describe a woman in prose as skinny, you know? That's that's a little... Right. We got to find out, like, a more poetic word. Maybe, like... Slim? Slim? What about slender? Oh, slender. Interesting. What if, what now, if I describe her as slender? I have control f and I see that we've used slender for literally every woman in this book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> women in this book are described in two ways. Number one, slender. Number two, the thing that would make them not hot, except that the protagonist is horny for them. Yes. That's how women are described. Those two those two things are... Or that the I thing th- that would make them hot, but the POV character is not horny for them. <laughs> I think it's Rosati who's tall, right? I think no. so. Maybe it's Erisi. Maybe it's a, yeah, it's probably Eresy because I think the tallness is specifically referenced like from yes. Corin's okay, point of view. Okay, so on Eresy's height, uh, there's a little footnote, and when I cl- it says just over one point six seven meters. And when I click that, it takes me to a citation that says, according to X Wing Rogue Squadron, Eresy Delorant is just a bit taller than Corin Horn, who is one point six seven meters tall. So short, short. Boy. Anyway, Rosati yeah. Yinner. Yeah, she's in a loving relationship with the lawyer guy. Yeah. Uh, um, and she's blonde. And she's blonde. Next up, Rogue- we have Rogue 8, Isiri Delaret. Or Erisi? I've been saying Erisi. Delaret. She is... So this is my pick for the spy. Mm-hmm. This is my spy pick. She is another Bacta, right? She's, she's the, yeah, other, the other rival the other Bacta, Bacta family. family. Um, she's a woman, so she's not great at piloting, um, but what she is good at is emotions, um, but Mm. also she's horny, and that makes her trash. That makes her fundamentally (laughs) disposable as a, as a person. Mm -hmm. 
Um, she really tries to make a pass at Corin, and he shuts her down and explains her emotions to her. Mm-hmm. Because you see, despite being like an ace fighter jock, she has like no understanding of how like adrenaline and life or death situations can affect your emotions. Sometimes make you horny. But remember, that's not real. And even if you still want to fuck me like six days later, that's still not real. Because <laughs> <laughs> you want it. So I don't want it. Uh, fucking corn horn. You know, anyway, he's yeah. a, look, he's a, he's a, he's a fighter pilot. He doesn't want people on his tail. You know, he <laughs> wants to get somebody else in his sights. Uh, shut the fuck up. Anyway, <laughs> I think she's definitely the spy because she gets all this screen time and she's hot, but corn doesn't like want to, like corn is not interested in her. And mm-hmm. then there's a bit near the end of the book where they're planning to go back to the the planet to, like, finish the mission. And the identity of the planet has been kept secret from everybody because of, like, Imperial leaks, theoretically. And she just keeps asking, like, you guys are going back to the planet? Do you know where you're going? What's the name of the planet? Maybe, do you know the name of the planet? And I'm like, oh, okay, so <laughs> she's the spy. And, like, in, like, book three, it's going to be like, oh, you were the spy? But you are sexy, uh-huh. I'm the spy. No, don't portray us to the Empire. You're so sexy. <laughs> she also has a line where she says that like there's like a there's like a racial capitalism on her planet where like there's an entire species that just does the grunt work of making the Bacta. And then it's like right. her and her her like cadre of human like ruling class that there's like a thousand of them like control the entire planet and like take all the credit for as like producers of Bacta. It's really fucked. Um, is this the citation? Is Erisi the one who says, "I know what you mean"? It's pretty crazy out here with all these aliens. My roommate's a Rodian. Yeah, I think she does say that. I can't remember if it's her or Rosati who says that. It's but somebody does. It's one of them. Next up, we have Rogue Nine, Lieutenant Corrin Horn, human male from Corellia. It's your boy. It's, it's the boy. This is the real protagonist. They made him because they couldn't have Wedge. Um, okay, so you know, have you ever heard the phrase, kill the cop in your brain? Yes. Corrin Horn has terminal cop brain. He has chronic <laughs> and terminal cop brain. It's this so is true. Like, He's the most cop man who has ever lived. His his cop brain saves the day. <laughs> because uh, him applying cop-type tactics to a situation is what leads them to discover the secret information that allows them to win the fight. Mm-hmm. And his knowledge of, like, the criminal mind. What criminals yeah. like to do. Those things the criminals like. He is, yeah, he is a former police officer who, like, got on the bad side of an Imperial agent, um, and so went into hiding with a bunch of, like, other officers, not, like, with them, but they all fled at the same time, um, and so he, like, bounced around a lot, um, he stole a cop X-Wing, he, he, like, stole his spaceship, this is one of my things with Corrin, he's a thief, but he, like, has no awareness of this, um, so, and he stole an R2 unit. So he like mm-hmm. stole his droid and his starship and he's been bouncing around the galaxy and then he decides to join the rebellion. Um, and he has a huge complex about like whether the other people in the rebellion are criminals. 
And how uh, if he was still a cop, he'd be fucking beating the shit out of these criminals, but he's working with them. Ah. Mirax is a smuggler. That's so fucked up. But it's fucked up. Kind of hot. I don't trust her. <sighs> Sheriff, you think being a smuggler is kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's our he's our star. He's going to appear. He appears in every book that Michael A. Stackpole writes. Mm-hmm. They look exactly the same, by the way. I don't know about that. I mean, okay, not exactly the same, but I feel like if you look up if you look up Cornhorn and you look up Michael Stackpole, the the resemblance is noticeable. See, all I. See- Mm, I kind of see it, but only really in the sense that he has the same facial hair. But, yeah, that's you know. But like, yeah, but still, like, but still, if I try to picture this guy as like twenty years younger, I can kind of see it. Mm-hmm. And he he is like, what if Luke Skywalker and Han Solo were the same guy? <laughs> well, we haven't hit that part yet, but yes, he will mm-hmm. eventually be a Jedi. Is a thing God. I know. God. He, I, I hate think... him. I kind of hate him. I find him insufferable. I hate li- <laughs> I hate being in his stupid little head listening to his dumb fucking narration about everything. He's just like... He's got it's huge... Very... Co- he's got huge cop brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book is completely like scared of ever giving him a character flaw, except for the part where it made him an insufferable little prick. So That's not a flaw. He has multiple... Well, like, it doesn't know it made him an insufferable little prick. It <laughs> thinks he's a cool guy. But there is, like... So, there's, like, five times in this book where Cornhorn has, like, a character problem. Somebody comes up and explains his character problem to him. And he goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'll fix that. And then he fixes that. Like, there is... Yeah. Like, his arc is, like... He's set up as, like, oh, this is the, like, lone wolf-like rogue cop guy and he needs to learn how to be a member of the team he's really cool on his own and he did a lot of drifting stuff but like he has to learn how to not just rely on himself and he has to learn how to open up and by that we mean that wedge needs to tell him to open up and be part of the team okay cool uh he says yes um, sir uh what's her name the bacta girl does this too her first scene is coming up to him and being sexy and then being like hey tiger you need to actually make emotional connections with your squad mates or else you're not going to be an effective fighter pilot. And he's like, oh, damn, true. Thanks, Queen. Thanks for telling me this. <laughs> and then he does it off screen. <laughs> <laughs> and like then his like, first time hanging out with the rest of the squad in their downtime, it happens off screen because we just cut from that conversation you mentioned to him getting ready for his first mission, mm-hmm. uh, which is a bummer because like, this book ain't exactly long. It would be great to have like it's an like awkward scene where pages. It's not. It's like less than four hundred pages. That's I. I think that's meaty. I think this book is way too long for what it's doing. Um, it breezes by though. It's pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like eating popcorn, or how I imagine eating popcorn is because I can't eat popcorn. Mm-hmm. But you know there's. Uh, anyway, we don't get to see the awkward scene of Corin trying to fit in with the other crewmates and, like, deciding yeah. to treat them like normal people. We just kind of gloss over that, unfortunately. He just, and he just gets told that he, he just gets told that he needs to act like a human being around him, and then they like him for the rest of the book. Yeah. 
Like, and this is like all of his conflicts. Um, and it's bad writing. It's just bad fucking writing. Yeah. Uh, we don't really have that much to go on as like a thing to work toward over an arc of like nine books with Corrin. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fine. Like we can focus on other characters and other things as the books go on. It's just like we're gonna be stuck with Corrin every for four of the nine books in this series. I'm not counting Mercy Kill because it came out uh, like two years before the Disney buyout, and the rest of these were published in the 90s. So I'm mm-hmm. like not really. That's not really on my radar because it'll be like a post. It'll be like. Th- really? Those books, other books being old, I think is part of that book. So I'm for clarification of why I keep saying nine. Like I'm just not counting that one right yeah. now. Um, but like we're gonna have Cornhorn for four out of these seven books for sure. I assume he's in the other three at the end that are written by Aaron Alston, but I don't have a guarantee on that. Yeah, but um, like, but yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would not be surprised if at some point, like a new character becomes the protagonist, and then like Cornhorn is just around as a supporting guy. Maybe that's uh, when Gavin steps up. <laughs> Maybe it would be nice if Gavin uh, did something in this story, yeah. um, where he is pretty prominently featured. But yeah, Corn. He's just Cornhorn. He's just really amateurly written. Um, I think the book is. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> he's the focal point of the book, and I yeah. think a lot of the flaws of the book are evident in Corrin. Um, are you ready for Rogue Ten? Sure. Rogue Ten is either Ural Krig or Ural Kurg, depending oh. on which page of the book you're looking at, because they spelled his name wrong in a couple <laughs> places. He is a Gand... Um, yes. Which is like an insectish race. Um, they, uh, he is like Corin's boy, and they hang out, and he's chill. Um, if you don't know what a Gand is, but you know what the name Zuckus is, he it's the same species as Zuckus from uh, Empire Zuckus Strikes is. Back. Oh, he's that bounty hunter. He's yeah, he's the bug yeah. bounty hunter. I looked it I looked it up and like I'm the kind of Star Wars brain where I don't know what a Gand is, but when I looked up a Gand, I was like, Oh, the guy from Empire Strikes Back. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but not the guy that, that looks like a droid with an insect head. That's Forlom. Yeah. yeah, sure. The shorter um, guy. Yeah, um the one thing we get about Gand culture is that they have to like earn their names by doing mm-hmm worthy things and that you can in gand culture display like guilt or contrition or humility by referring to yourself as like your 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 family name like your clan mm-hmm. name something like that mm-hmm. because it de-individualizes you um right and the only people who use first person pronouns are people who are so important and so well-known that it is just assumed that you know who is talking, which mm-hmm. is, like, a very rare thing. Yeah, it's like, Gantt. those are, like, those are, like, the the guys, you know, like... Like the president. Yeah, like, you learn your... You earn... First, you're just called, like, Gand, and then yeah, I think you Gand. earn, like, a clan name, and then if you're, like, good enough to get past that, you earn, like, a, a first name. And also, Corin remarks upon hearing all this that the Gand have come up with a system we should have had long time ago. Like, what? 
Corrin wants this like name system, and it's never remarked upon again that he thinks mm-hmm. it's a cool system that they should all use. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Re- and it's why? What is his reasoning for saying that we should have that? I mean, it's kind of cool. Like, it's maybe like the most like natural feeling, like cultural detail that we get in this book. Like, I don't know. I hear the system, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Like, I see culturally the like sociological function that this system serves you know like fair enough mm. we we get a lot of other stupid shit about alien races in this book and this thing with the gand is maybe the most like natural feeling one uh Corin found the system curious but somehow satisfying it always seems it always does seem that those who use I the most are the ones who have the least in the way of accomplishments to justify it. The Gans have formalized a system we should have come up with long ago. So it's just Corrin being a superior little asshole. <laughs> yes. <sighs> I hate him. Uh yeah, he Earl loses an arm at one point because he gets shot out of his X Wing. Um but they repair it, and he has a prosthetic, but he's not able to come to the final battle. And but that's because they, the people making the prosthetics are like, I don't fucking know. We've never had a Gand before. We don't know how to do this. We don't know how to make a Gand hand. <laughs> Gand hand. Gand hand. He punches through a stormtrooper a few times. That's kind of Yeah! Sad. He's really cool. Uh, we stand Oro, <laughs> I think. Yeah, he's a nice boy. Yeah. Maybe the best constructed minor character in this book. There are a lot of bad yeah, minor characters. Totally. Uh, would you qualify if to, to jump into our other podcast momentarily? Would you say that Oral is a funny little guy? No, that feels racist. <laughs> He's great. I love him. <laughs> um, uh, the Wikipedia play. says that he's a lungless gand, uh, which means that he doesn't breathe. Okay. He doesn't sleep either, but he finds Corin's snoring soothing mentally. <laughs> That's right. I forgot. This is the thing that comes up <laughs> that he doesn't sleep. So he just sits in the dark and listen to Corin snore and go nice. <laughs> nice. Hell yeah. Oh, oh, once again. Oh, inhale. Oh, okay. And now <laughs> Ooh, what? Oh, exhale. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, he made a little snort this time. Nice. Keeping it. Shaking it up. Come on, Corin. Footwork, Corin. Rogue 11. Is this Lujane Forge? This is Lujane Forge, the one most like an actual rogue. <laughs> I Tell me I, about Oh, she's a human female from Kessel. Tell me about Lujane Forge. I confused her with um as Ez, Ezri Erisi so much. Yeah. So I don't think I can actually I know she dies. It's about all that I know. Mm-hmm. It's not that important. She has like a, a scene where she comes up to Corin at the beginning. She's like, did you treat me differently because I'm from Kessel and you're a cop? Right. And yeah. He's like, no, but yeah, kinda. <laughs> no, but now that you mention it, fuck, you're from Kessel. That's the prison planet. What's your crime, criminal? And she's like, my parents were working on rehabilitating and reintegrating prisoners into society. So I was one of the good Imperials, actually. (laughs) God. Uh, His, okay, her dad was like a prison chaplain who married a prisoner. Uh, Vibes on that one are not, the vibes on that one aren't great. Yeah. 
gotta say. Uh, that's some real, what is it, Clegg? Is it Clegg? I don't know what you're talking no, about. Clegg is one of the Padres. Craig? Lars? Oh, yeah, the guy who, like, buys Anakin's mom and then marries her. It's Wait, it Cle- is... It's yeah, Clegg. Clegg Lars? It's Clegg, not Clegg. It's one letter off from Clegg, who is one of the Padres. C-L-I-E-G-G. Clegg Lars. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Uh, here's another little fucked up piece of backstory that gets dropped. Luke gave his grandparents his uh, aunt and uncle's farm to an alien guy, and then Gavin Darklighter's, like, uncle, like, exploited, like, structural racism to, like, nearly kick him off the land until Gavin's other uncle was like, that's fucked up. I will simply buy the farm from him. Yeah, and then give it back to the alien. No, I think he buys it from, I think he buys it from him at, like, market price, and then the alien leaves Tatooine. Let me type in Throg, because I remember Throg. His name is Throg? Isn't His that name the, is Throg. Isn't that the barbarian from Order of the Stick? <laughs> You're thinking of Thog. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Luigi- Throg was eventually forced to flee Tatooine and embark on a smuggler's life to make ends meet. Yeah, just Gavin telling a funny little story about the time his, like, uncle was so racist he destroyed a man's farming life. Uh, Throg came under the notice of Huff Darklighter. <laughs> Stop. Huff. Also, Huff the Darklighters, Darklighter wanted the, the Darklighters are rich landowners. I remember this from the EU. That, like, Biggs, Biggs is, like, Luke's rich friend. Like, they own, like, multiple moisture farms and have, like, an industrial farming thing going on. Huff wanted to monopolize the moisture farming industry on Tatooine and attempted to institute an alien landowner tax. Huff's brother Jula (laughs) intervened and purchased the Lars farm before Huff could successfully implement the tax. The more scrupulous Darklighter brother maintained the deed of ownership but allowed Throg to continue working as a tenant. What the fuck? (laughs) 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 <laughs> they turned him into a sharecropper? I guess so. Holy shit. Star Wars sucks so much. Star Wars sucks. Oh my god. And he's the good one. Yeah. We like the sharecropper guy. Jula Darklighter. Who oh. only exists in the expanded universe in this anecdote. And has never appeared in anything else as far as I can tell. Holy shit, the most unforced error. <laughs> Gavin is just like this this is literally just a scene where Gavin is feeling kind of awkward in a group telling in a group setting, so he just tells the story. Uh anyway, Lujane Forge. I think she teaches Gavin how to do some piloting stuff before she dies. And then when she dies, Gavin is fucked up about it. Right, she's been she was mentoring Gavin like one on one. Yeah. Also, she doesn't die in a mission. She dies during a, a raid where a crew of uh, a, a platoon, I guess, of stormtroopers yeah. try to sneak in to the base and assassinate Rogue Squadron. Yeah, and put bombs on the Gundam. Yeah, basically. Uh, and she's shot in her sleep, and she's the only one who dies in that attack. But she's the first of Rogue Squadron to die. Yeah, more of this thing's, this book's weird thing about women. 
Like, Lujane is established as not a, not a good pilot, and none of the women in this book are good pilots. Um, she's, like, Gavin's, like, mentor mother figure, um, and then she dies, like, a really ignominious death in her sleep. Um, and they remark about how, like, fucked up a way that is to die multiple times. It's fucked up to not die in battle a little and bit. Then Ga- and then Gavin is just, like... Fucked up about it for a few chapters. Uh, on her page is a quote from Wedge Antilles. Lujane was a fighter, so having her die in her sleep was, well, it made it worse. Yeah, that is that is what the book says. Um, I I would say that she's fridged, except that Gavin doesn't have any character development for her death to feel, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. she counts as not. So she doesn't count she's as being fridged. Actually, kind of fridged for the whole squad. Yeah, uh, because like. This is the character who they were the first to die, and that failure, that death, is going to hang over the squadron forever, right? Yeah. Like there, I like I showed you the thing on her page of like her appearances in every X-wing book, but under all of them but one, it just says mentioned only. <laughs> like Jeez. she's she's going to be a specter haunting the X-wing series. God, bad fucking book. Rogue Twelve. Rogue 12 is Andurni Hui, a Rodian female from Rodia. I don't know what this is. She's the roommate that um, Erisi doesn't like. Because she's an alien. She was a huntress. Okay. Um, Hui joined the New Republic as a pilot and was handpicked by Wedge to join the elite rogue squadron. Although political pressure forced Antilles to select alien pilots for the roster, he personally assured the New Republic Defense Force officials that none of the selected pilots, including Hui, were uh, inferior to any other candidates. (laughs) What? I I missed the alien part of this specifically. Like, in the very... And like the second chapter when uh, Wedge is negotiating about who gets to be on the squadron, it's like, well, we want more I representation. Just, I thought of it was aliens. just political appointments in general, like at, from worlds, because like the Bacta, the Bacta humans are political. Um, yes, and choosing both, like choosing members of both Bacta families, was a specific choice. Yeah. Um, um, and and yeah, like Star Wars. In... <laughs> Star Wars just introduces like non-human racism into the canon for no reason. They just this do book that? has a lot of that, and it like points out the fact that like the Empire specifically is not only xenophobic toward aliens, but is also like normal sexist, like Earth yeah, sexist, and then like lumps women, human women, and aliens of any gender into like the same like marginalized like Mm. it's not like an official career track but it's set like the imperial agent guy makes a note of like oh it's impressive that this like woman admiral is so high given like you know she she probably has been treated like shit and shunted to the worst yeah she was put through the non-human track or whatever and that means that she had to go through go serve under a bunch of different alien like superior officers before getting any chance at her own authority, which is not what like a human man would have gone through. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Star Wars sucks. <laughs> Star Wars and sucks. It, Star Wars has always been this, and it always will be this. <laughs> uh, Rogue 
13? Are we on the last rogue? Uh, well, that was, no, rogue 12 because rogue null is zero. Okay. So rogue, yeah, rogue 12 was Andorniwi. Okay, so we've gotten all the rogues. We've gotten uh, all the pilots. There are a couple of supporting yeah, characters we could talk about. Who are important to talk about. Uh, let's talk about the protocol droid. Uh, M3PO, also known as M-Tray. Uh, holy shit, man. This book is so fucking homophobic. <laughs> it just takes all of the... It takes all the subtext of C-3PO and just, like... All that's missing is for Corrin to call him the F-slur. But, like... <laughs> It's just so, like, all of the jockey fighter pilots are just sick of this little gay guy hanging out with them, like. <laughs> it's so it's, true. And it's, then. <laughs> it's that combined with that vine, combined with the bitch gonna breathe vine. Because m does nothing bad. Like, he does nothing annoying. He asks basic this the, questions. This is the lot of droids in Star Wars. Yeah. Like, he just asks basic questions, and then Wedger Corn is like, this fucking guy, this fucking little effeminate creep loudmouth i hate him and goes on like a 10 minute rant about how much he sucks ass and they wish he would fall into a black hole and die until one of them accidentally activates his like manly man like scavenger mode and he his, gets like a scoundrel mode and then he gets like a deep voice and starts being like yeah chief don't worry i can handle don't everything. worry i scrounged it up he's he turns into a fucking like fixer yeah and then they're like, like oh m is pretty cool now well, they say Mtray's acting weird. He's hasn't talked in like hours. <laughs> and he hasn't like, asked me any questions. Rogue Squadron is like the the Rebel Alliance is like simultaneously so paranoid about Imperial like um infiltration and like information leaks, and then a droid starts acting weird for a reason nobody can infer, and nobody gives a shit except for Tycho. <laughs> who figures it out and then goes, Oh, that's fine. Like he like he, thinks about it for two seconds once Mirax tells him to think about it, and he's like, "What? No, that okay? I got, I see it, I see it." They're just so happy he's not being a gay little creep at them, asking them about <laughs> logistics and how things are going to be funded and regulations. He's a protocol droid that specifically programmed uh, with the rules, regs, and procedures of over six million military organizations, past and present. Okay. Which, okay. And they hate him for it. They hate him so hate, much. Because he's annoying. Uh, I hate when you help me. Uh, I hate when my slave asks me questions about the thing that I've told him to do. Ugh. I hate when my slave that's specifically specialized in, like, paperwork stuff and, like, bureaucra- military bureaucracy... Uh, ask me questions that pertain to military bureaucracy so that he can do his job. I get so fucking angry at him. Uh, there's also and then Whistler. Isn't, isn't like his, isn't also like his, his like reboot activation phrase, like telling him to shut up three times or something like that? Yeah, if you tell him to shut up three times, he'll go into a, like a, a stasis mode. Jesus Christ. Where he can still answer questions and give data, he just, like, turns off his personality. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Ooh. You think when it activates his man mode, like, that's the worst it's going to get, but it actually gets worse. 
And then and then also in that scene, Cornhorn's like, isn't this a massive security risk? And Tygo's like, yeah. <laughs> fuck you uh, want we, me to do? <laughs> we also have Whistler and Minoc. They're, Minoc, they're the astromechs of the book. They're not that important. Whistler is green. I think Minoc is red. Whistler's green, and they gave Minoc, like... Bro, you know you can probably change the noise that he makes? Like, what the fuck? Like, if you hate the noise so much that you give him a nickname about how annoying the noise that he makes is, like, just go into notification settings and change the fucking noise he makes. Like, (laughs) it's so mean. Um, And then Wedge even has a thing where he's like, well, that's a mean thing to name you. I'm gonna keep saying it, though. Yeah, because he didn't, he inherited Minoc. Mm -hmm. So other characters of note are General Horton Salm. Uh, who is like the Y-wing he and guy. Wedge are like the two he, like Solom is in charge of a Y wing squadron and Wedge is in charge of an X wing squadron and they like meet and they are co workers and they seem to be like equals under <laughs> uh, Admiral Akbar. Even um, though even though like, Solom is a general and Wedge is like a commander or something like yeah and and Solom commands like Solom commands like four five squads of bombers and Wedge commands one squad of X-wings and they're treated as like equal authority yeah. wise. Yeah. And it's like so his relationship with Wedge is one of like they both have different ideas about how everything should be done mm-hmm. and he doesn't trust Wedge's methods and instructional methods and he doesn't trust the pilots of Rogue Squadron because they're a bunch of yeah. hotshots. He's like the square. Yeah. Uh, but to be clear, guy. to be clear, not in any way that actually affects the plot. They just meet in these Akbar meeting scenes and go, ooh, I don't like you. Ooh, I don't like you. And then halfway through the book, Sam is chill. Well, it's because like... He wants to pull up Corrin on, like, insubordination charges because yeah. he started a plan that was super risky and it he, worked like, out. He, like, defies orders but he's, in the middle Yeah, he, of he goes against orders to do it and it works out, but he still wants to, like, make it known that, like, this kind of um, disobedience yeah. is not going to be, like, stand- they're not going to stand for it. And then, like, they get a new mission and here's where, like... This book is kind of about ego a little bit, because the Bothans want to do this mission. The Bothans have, like, diseased racial pride because of that time they helped get the Death Star plans. And so Wedge and Psalm are like, hey, this is a little sketch. Can we get more details? And the Bothans are like, no. Well, maybe. We'll try, but no guarantees. Mm -hmm. And then... um, after that briefing, they're like, okay, do you still, you, I guess it's time to talk about Corrin. And Psalm's like, no, look, that's just going to mess things up even more with what we've got on our plate. I'm going to drop it because we need to focus on whatever the fuck the Bothans are about to screw us with. And it's love, like, love when, love when we can, love when the two, two good old boys can unite in their hatred of the minorities. <laughs> it's just weird. Like, so many times somebody's ego is brought up as like a an impediment to the plot or an impediment to the character and they just have a conversation and it goes away mm-hmm. except, for, it's not except for when it's an plan. alien that has an ego and then it gets them killed well it goes away because it gets them killed yeah yeah but that's like this but book like, just like 
generally being incompetent at writing character conflict. Like, Wedge and Psalm don't have a meaningful rivalry that they have to, like, get over in order to, like, do a thing. Like, they just snip at each other at briefings, and then it doesn't really matter until Psalm is cool with him. And then at the end, they're like, oh, now let's share a drink and, like, put everything aside for the mission and for the Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, I feel like Stackpole is trying to make this story about how, like, all these people's egos are, like, clashing and, put, like, impeding the mission. And, like, we need to, like, work together, but we all have very strong opinions about how things should be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all have our own expertise that we're bringing as a cudgel to this problem. But then like the way it's actually written, it doesn't actually deal with any of those or do anything with that theme. It just puts it on the table and then just like takes it off the table. <laughs> and then it's corn horns, like experience, which he brings as a cudgel to everything that ends up saving the day. Right. Know? Like, it's just, uh, Cornhorn is such a cop that he saves the day. Um, even though everyone else's, like, inferred character flaw is that they're such an X that they keep doing X things. Yeah. Um, so, we have... Uh... Mirax? Right. So, when... The Rogue Squadron has decided, they tell them, we're going to deploy you sooner than we thought because we want to take Coruscant. We're moving you to a new base so you can do your training there. And on their way to that new base on Talisi, uh, they accidentally come across an interdictor, which is a type of uh, Star Destroyer that has a, that generates a gravitational field that disrupts hyperspace travel. Uh, and it's so, it sort of like manipulates the auto safeties on a hyperspace engine mm-hmm. to force you out of hyperspace. This is cool. Um, I like this idea. Yeah, I think they. I think they're from Thrawn originally. I think that's yeah. where they came from. This seems like some shit that Thrawn would do. And it's attacking this frigate. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, which is captained by Mirax Tarek, who's a cool smuggler girl. <laughs> uh, corn. Corn has a cornhorn. Our boy has a lot of complexes, and I think they are nowhere more obvious than whenever he looks at or talks to Mirax. Like, <laughs> so the like first introduction is him being like, "Oh, we saved these fucking smugglers." I bet the captain of these smugglers is gonna be like some not sexy old man, and then it's like a hot lady, and he's like, "Whoa." And then, he, and then he's like, wait, your dad is who? <laughs> my dad, my dad arrested your dad and sent him to the spice mines for like 20 years. Five years. Five, five years. And Merrick is like, yeah, but it was chill. It was actually, it was good that actually that that happened. We're still going to have like a rivalry about this, but it was good that it happened kind to him of. actually. We're going to call it a rivalry when it's really just sexual tension. Uh-huh. And bad sexual tension. <laughs> The scene where the scene where she's sleeping in his room is the, is so bad. <laughs> she keeps asking, "Are you sure you're going to be warm enough tonight?" Hey, Corin, are you sure you don't want? Are you sure you don't want to have sex? And Corin's like, "No, I must be a warrior it would, monkey. <laughs> it will endanger the mission." 
<laughs> Remember that time in Return of the Jedi when Luke Skywalker says, I'm endangering the mission. I shouldn't have come. I don't want to have to say that tomorrow because I had sex. Fuck. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, his but thing she also... is literally like, if I have sex, I'm not going to be on my A game. My vital male energies will come but, out of me but through also, my penis. We learn later that she was doing that specifically so that she could see if she would hate him because she wanted him to try and seduce her uh-huh. so that she would have an excuse to not like him. And now she's left being like, like quietly, um, frustrated that he's a good man and she kind of likes him. Yeah, I also had this fantasy when I was a teenage boy. <laughs> That you would refuse a seduction and in doing so, like, secure her affection on a deeper level? Yeah, this is, like, literally nerd shit 101. Like, you're afraid of being rejected if you show, like, overt sexual interest. So you come up with this fantasy of, like, ooh, what if I didn't show overt sexual interest? And actually the girl was like, damn, that's fucking sexy. I like him so much now. (laughs) I have great news about Murex, uh, Tarek. What is your great news? Well, her Wikipedia page is labeled is her name is Merex Tarek Horn. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that happening. <laughs> uh, fucking hell. Star Wars. Star Wars. So after that, uh with uh Merex's help, they go to Talisee. And it is Talisee where the stormtroopers attack quietly and try to assassinate Cause, them. Because there's, there's a little pervert Imperial intelligence guy who's trying to find them and kill them. Um, right. I think it's time we talked about Curtin Lure. The worst name in this book. Is it Isan Asard? I, I mean, Curtin Lure just feels bad to say. <laughs> the mouthfeel on it is just atrocious. Curtin Lore is an Imperial intelligence officer who at least twice mentions that either people had told him that he looked like Tarkin or that he's trying to look like Tarkin. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he has an eidetic memory? Yeah, and he's really horny. But like in a very repressed way. Yeah, he's like sub- he's got subliminated horny for his boss, but it's there, and it's really there. He keeps calling her his mistress. <laughs> Grovel, you shall. Grovel, you you've shall. angered my mistress, which is so funny because like, dude, she will kill you. She does not give a shit about you, but you keep calling her your mistress like you guys have something, but you have nothing. Sorry, I just want to, He forced himself to smile and bolstered his effort by visualizing a trembling Admiral Devlia. That's another rival Imperial that he's, like, working with in this moment. Mm -hmm. Tremble you shall, little man. In ignoring me, you have angered my mistress, and I suspect her anger can be decidedly lethal. (laughs) He's such a pathetic loser. Yes, he he's a huge loser. Um, and it's kind of great. Yeah. He's like constantly getting owned. Um, mm-hmm. He has there's like, like a minor. I think maybe hit the most owned is like when he wakes up because he has a bad dream about his boss turning into Darth Vader and killing him. 
just nuts. Who, by the way, uh, we mentioned that Rosati was was described as like a little, or like Eresi was taller than Cornhorn, but still attractive, as <laughs> if it would imply the opposite. Um, when Curtin Lore meets his new boss, Isan Asard, who is de facto emp- empress now of the Imperial <laughs> Remnant, um, it, the book makes a pain to note that she was much older than him, but still definitely hot. But still really hot. But he wasn't horny, but he knew he, like, could be horny, but he wasn't horny. But he was still looking at her and being like, that's a sexy lady. But he was not horny. Don't get it twisted. Not horny. Uh, Though he would have put her age at a dozen years older than his own, he found her attractive. Tall and slender, ding... She wore her black hair long, and the white streaks descending from her temples made her seem more exotic than middle-aged. Bruh. No, no, keep going until you get to the part where he's, like, cataloging all the all the hot things about her that he's not horny about. I, 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 I'm listing our DMs. I don't have the passage in front of me. <laughs> uh, God. Okay, hold on. Um, I got it, I got it. Give me a phrase. I could, I could control F it. Her face appeared classically beautiful to him. A strong jaw, sharp cheekbones, a high forehead, a gracefully small nose, and large eyes were all the elements that most women would have killed to possess, or would have paid to have given to them. Even as he catalogued all the bits and pieces of her that should have triggered some sort of lust in him, and the aura of power surrounding her was terribly exciting, fear overrode any glimmerings of carnal desire. When she looked at him with dark brows accenting her eyes, he knew where the menace dwelt in her. One eye was ice blue, as cold as hoth and as cruel as a hut in a sporting mood. The other eye, the left one, was a molten red, with golden highlights that flashed with fiery determination. The left eye told him that any effort by him that was not fully devoted to her service would be met with the bloodless retribution promised by her cold right eye. No, dude, you're so horny right now. (laughs) He is obsessed with this woman, like, treating him like a little worm. And and mostly she's just like, hey, idiot, do this thing. He's like, oh, yes, mistress, I'll do that right away. And she's like, do you see where you failed here? Do you see where you fucked up? And he's like, um... Was it that I didn't do this? And she's like, no, try again. She might as well have been, like, tapping a writing crop to her other hand. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's how he thinks about it. (laughs) When she's actually just like, why'd you fuck up, idiot? And he's like, uh, I was an asshole. And she's like, that's right, you're an idiot sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) I was literally thinking about that. Oh, what are you, a poodoo sandwich? <laughs> um, so basically, Curtin Lore is the uh, Imperial officer who is trying to hunt down Cornhorn and his other, like, former colleagues. Yeah. He found one of them, I think Gil Bastra is his name? Yeah. Who sent up a bunch of fake IDs and uh, using this has, like, divined that um, Corrin is still out there. He is recruited by Yisan Asard, who is basically the empress at this point. She's taken over what has remained because her father was the director of imperial intelligence. And then she con- managed to get him killed by Palpatine so she could have the title. Mm-hmm. That's not in these books. I think that's from the No, comics. that's mentioned. That's mentioned that that's what she did. Another ding for this book's weird thing about women. Like, this woman's very powerful, but only because she stole it from a man. 
Also, it's rumored that she fucked Palpatine. <laughs> she got the Palpatine dick. <laughs> I just power, unlimited power. Who? What kind? You know that George Lucas quote that's like you have to have a deviant's brain to enjoy uh, Plo Koon. Dis- only a diseased mind would think Plo Koon is the coolest character. Only a diseased mind would like look at Palpatine and be like. How's this guy fucking? Now, pre-Empire Palpatine, understandable, but, like, post-Empire Palpatine? <laughs> like, oh. Raisin? <laughs> uh, God, Star Wars sucks. Anyway, uh, they go to Talisi, they do some more training, and then they do the attack on Borlea's. Which they're like, oh, this seems fine. Like, the Bothans are like, obviously they can't use ion cannons and the shields. Uh, and then they do their attack, and it turns out they can, because the Devlia, the uh, Imperial in charge, had a secret side gig on that planet. Mm-hmm. Um, he had, like, reactivated a previously abandoned factory, and is using it to produce goods from Alderaan and sell them on the black market. Right, and this is what actually leads to them finding out about the spy, because M-Trey is able to, like, pull up a black market list. Or, like, Mirax is... I think it's just Mirax on the ship. Yeah, She's she... like, let me check in with, with the black market. <laughs> let me we'll go, pull up the let black me go, market app. Let me go to the dark web and see what right. they're selling on Evil and eBay. she's like, wait, why is there all this Alderaan stuff in this system with no buy price? That's weird. And then it turns out M-Trey is, like, speculating on the things he intends to get from after they take over this planet. So, um... So the mission that happens, the mission gets fucked up. The mission gets fucked up. They lose two more pilots. Mm-hmm. And they get back to base. And then while, like, commiserating with the marine guy, Corin is like, whoa... Wait a second. They, like, figure out that there's, like, a base, another base, so there has to mm-hmm. be a passage between the bases, so they can blow up the passage and, like, get and that into will the base. Make, yeah, that will break the, the power lines, basically, so that uh, w- they reduce the mission parameters back to the original estimate from the Bothans. Mm-hmm. And we don't see the rest of the mission. We just see their... Um, so the, the power cord is in a big tube and that tube is kind of in a in a canyon <laughs> and so all the x-wings have to fly down into this sort of trench to uh do bombing runs on a power cable <laughs> uh, this is this book is like the height of like mythologizing the star wars movies and it's it's wild because like when i was growing up i was reading prequel stuff and i was reading new jedi order which is much later mm-hmm. uh and it was not like this like mm-hmm. this version of star wars that is so obsessed with specifically the characters and events of the movies mm-hmm. is totally new to me like obviously in the new jedi order there's like anakin solo is the son of han and leia and like there's a, a reverence for old canon stuff in some of that stuff mm-hmm. but it's like they're not literally quoting the movie in those books. I love the part when Wedge thinks like, damn, this is just like when Luke told me to get out of here because my ship got hit in the Death Star run. 
<laughs> yeah. And then it's like three or four times somebody mentions odds and either Wedge or Corin, because they're both from Corellia, say, no, don't talk to me about odds. You know us. What good son of Corellia would care about odds? Because Han Solo said, never tell me the odds in Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which is nuts. You can't do your world building like this. Like they- Yes, you can. The stripes on Han Solo's pants have canonical importance in the expanded universe as a Corellian blood stripe. Oh my god. Yeah, this is just like, I don't know. This, this is kind of like the... Is it, like, correct to say this is, like, the precursor to, like, puzzle box shit that we see now? Like, just, like, treating every detail in Star Wars as though it is, like, something, like, carefully considered with huge import for, like, world and character of this entire setting. When it's, like, bro, they t- he said don't tell me- they made him say don't tell me the odds because he's, like, a scoundrel guy who, like, is brash and doesn't care if a thing is a bad idea. Like... I think it's maybe the opposite because this stuff is like taking every little detail and spinning it out and justifying it versus like putting a bunch of shit in a box and having no context for it uh, and like implying context rather than like creating context. Right. Mm, Yeah. A fair. But it's like they both suck. (laughs) <laughs> They're both shitty ways to tell a story and shitty ways to build a world. Yeah, it's bad. Nobody wants to read something like this. I guess a lot of people w- did because they wrote nine of these books, but like... Yeah, like this is a very popular thing in Star Wars fandom, from what I understand. It's like the X-Wing books are like, oh, it's, it's fun. It's like, you know, action-y spaceship fights and it's mm. cool stuff. And um, It is that. It is cool ships going pew-pew. I'll, I'll give it that. Uh, there's lots of like, oh, I gotta divert my power from the forward shields to the rear shields. Uh, which is like a big mechanic in Star Wars Squadrons, the more recent uh, video game, where you like switch your power between like maneuverability shields and laser power. Hmm. Um, people love that shit, and it's, it's cool. I'm excited to read more of it, but, um, you know... I have some critiques of the writing and the characters and the world building. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, I don't believe in the concept of guilty pleasure, but I understand how somebody who does would describe these books as, as that. Hmm. I give it um, a two out could, of five. You could just like a goofy thing. IMO. Mm. It's fine. Um, but also like, as we've brought up several times, like the racism of Star Wars is all over this thing, just like everything just, else. Just everything of Star Wars, like there's so much just like shit on display here. Mm-hmm. There's a bit where like Corin like us sees Tycho like talking to one of the guards that like follows him around because he's under suspicion of being a spy, and because the guard is a woman and Tycho is a man, and they seem to be getting along for like five seconds he constructs this like he's like lieutenant Tycho, are you having sex with that woman and Tycho's like what <laughs> no oh my god what <laughs> no obviously it's that we're both from alderaan our planet that was blown up by the first death star <laughs> and so we are bonding over the experience of having our planet blown up <sighs> oh 
this this book is so goofy. I would not call it goofy. I would call it amateurish. That too. It's just like I guess it's ludicrous sometimes. Um but like I guess I I guess the things you see is sort of like ludicrous or or goofy. I just kind of see as like clumsy or like fumbly, you know? Yeah. And I don't like It's them. definitely clumsy and fumbly. Uh, I'm trying. I'm just looking for other things to say besides this game. Is, this bo- this game, this book is just stupid, right? Yeah. Like, it's it's just like there's not a ton of depth happening here. Um, there's not a lot of complexity. Um, but some of the lasers look cool when you when you shoot them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's fun, even though I can also see like a bunch of glaring flaws in it. In that way, it's a lot like the Death Star. Lots of flash, but some very deep flaws. <laughs> that that seems like a good a good final sentiment. <laughs> um, I have one last question for you, and this is a question I'm going to ask every co-host okay. in this podcast. I want you to rate this book, and the scale is um is not a number or anything like that. And I don't want you to really explain your scale here, but I do want you to assign this book a lightsaber color as your, like, official rating of it. Okay. Okay. Hmm. (laughs) What lightsaber color is X-Wing Rogue Squadron by Michael A. Stackpole? Uh, what are my options? I'm gonna Google lightsaber colors. Well... Uh, it's it's uh, sort of established that uh, the bad guys have uh, red and the good guys have blue. So I'm seeing green, blue, yellow, purple, uh, uh, red, a sort of teal color, a a silver color, and like an orange color. Mm-hmm. Is that valid? Mm-hmm. Anyway, this one's silver. This is a silver lightsaber. Okay, cool. You don't have. I'll write them down. You don't. I. You told me I don't have to explain it, but I can explain it. No, I'm saying. I'm saying don't explain it. All right. Well, I know what it means. I mean a very specific thing when I give this a silver lightsaber. I'm sure you do. And when somebody else gives something else a silver lightsaber, it won't mean the same thing. But that's okay. <laughs> I just it's vibes only here. Yeah. So we have some emails that came in for this mm-hmm. book. You can send emails to the podcast at dianogasquadron at gmail.com. And uh, our first email is from M. As someone who played way too much Rogue Squadron, I think it's surprising how enduring X-Wings especially are. They're just kind of do-everything bores compared to A-Wings and Y-Wings. I know how the lore ma- and, and the lore it makes sense. Important to conserve personnel, shipbuilders on the side of the Rebellion. But I've always thought they were too useful in the fiction as armored, long-range fighters that can bomb and dogfight and have a droid and can do hyperspace and have goofy S-foils. What's your favorite Rebellion ship that isn't an X-Wing? Fuck you, Em. I love, I love X-Wings. Fuck you. <laughs> well, they say, what's your favorite Rebellion ship that isn't one of these? I assume they just mean X-Wings, but they could mean not X-Wings, A-Wings, or Y-Wings. Probably, I mean, I don't know any other Rebellion ships, so... <laughs> I'm gonna have to Google Star Wars Rebellion ships. The Millennium Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, that is bolded. <laughs> on these. Um, I'm going on StarWars.com slash databank slash Rebel Alliance.
I'm also on this website. Uh, I'm thinking of a specific one. I have to get to it, so I have to open all of these tabs. Is it the B-Wing? No. Was it was it, it specifically Starfighters? Uh, M says... Rebellion Ship. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Are you going to pick the cool Mon Calamari medical frigate? Uh, I might. We'll see. Oh, no. No, I'm being a fucking idiot. It's the Snowspeeders from Hoth. Oh, okay, yeah. I I was thinking of um one of the ships from the end of uh episode five, that one that uh that like that's in the fleet that Luke is on. Um I'm like The one that looks like a half eaten chicken wing? Yeah. Yeah, that's the medical one, I think. <laughs> that just like had such a weird shape to me. Yeah. I just remember seeing that as a kid and being like, man, a spaceship can look like anything. That's the Nebulon B frigate. These versatile rebel cruisers were often used to escort rebel convoys, protecting ships from Imperial patrols with an array of powerful turbolasers and tractor beams. Nice. Uh, uh, After Empire Strikes Back, Luke recovered from his injuries aboard a Nebulon B medical frigate. These escort ships were part of the Rebel Armada that assaulted the second Death Star at Endor. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also, I, I just love a snowspeeder. Yeah, they're they, cool. <laughs> they look so shitty. Uh, I just like them. Um, man. I do like the B-Wing. It's, it's really... It's bad. It sucks ass. <laughs> the so cockpit t- rotates around yeah. so that the ship can... It's weird. Um. Yeah, I just don't understand. Like, what is the point? Just looks cool. <laughs> but um, I guess I'll have to go with. Um. Oh, you know what? The U wing from Rogue One is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the ship that they use in Rogue One? That I think so. The one that they all, like, go to the planet in, I think that is a U-Wing. Yeah, I like that, because it's, like, big enough to have a crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's 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 a, an ideal ship size, because uh, then you can have a cast of characters inside. And maybe they all have only have one character trait, but they're really cool character traits. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, next email? Next email comes from Ian. This book turned out longer than I was expecting, and I'm not going to finish it in time, but I have two notes. One, the idea of a dramatis personae with a very normal number of important characters is really funny. Uh, note number two, Slender. Uh, every Star Wars book has the dramatis personae page. Um, because how else do you even try to tell stories when there's 16 other authors all playing with the same toys? Um, but one of my favorite books, Traitor, in the New Jedi Order series, you open that page and it has, like, f- five characters in the whole book. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, because it's like, this book is about Jason Solo and his mental journey and, like, his spiritual, like, enlightenment mm-hmm. during his time in captivity. Hell yeah. Um, it's a great book. It's, it's, it's cool. Um, 
Next email comes in from Autumn. Uh, she says, hi, congrats on getting the podcast off the ground. I'm unspeakably excited. Me too. This podcast was supposed to launch a year ago, but we, uh, didn't do it because one, Rise of Skywalker was bad. And two, we tried to start with all the books in like release order, which means we started with Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which is an awful, awful book, just <laughs> in the sense that it was super dry and boring and I couldn't bring myself to read more of it. Which is a shame, because I think the plot of that book involves Ben Kenobi possessing Luke Skywalker to fight Vader. It seems rad. Hmm. Um, some questions from Autumn. One, what kind of social media would Corrin Horn use, and what posts would he make? Corrin Horn's a Facebook motherfucker. Ooh. Yeah. And he's posting about Trump. Oh... Sorry to sorry to give you the absolute worst version of this, but it's what I feel in my heart. If he were alive back in the day, he would be posting about, oh, I can't believe that Padme Amidala called for a vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum two weeks before his term ended. <laughs> uh, I think I agree, mainly because I just can't see him using Twitter, and yeah. uh, that's the only social media I use <laughs> so question number two does anyone in the galaxy respect women as much as Cornhorn does he doesn't Cornhorn fucking hates women he just doesn't let it admit it <laughs> he treats women like shit all throughout this book mm-hmm. they're all vile temptresses that he has to like chastely sequester himself from and like resist their their feminine advances except when he himself <laughs> thinks about fucking them then it's kind of okay. Then it's kind of okay, but like, then they'll be like, so hey, for Corrin. the sake of the question, uh, I guess we'll say Wedge Antilles. <laughs> wedge Antilles. Uh, last question uh, comes actually, in. I from... actually have a different answer. Oral. Oral respects. Oh, or, oral. Oral. I, I, I refuse to call him oral. That's just. No. Okay. <laughs> our last email comes in from Taya I haven't actually had the time to read Rose Squadron yet but I still think it's worth asking if you could replace one character <laughs> in this book with Dexter Jetster who would it be hell yeah okay um hmm this is an interesting question cause it's like you could approach it either from like what is the worst character in this book that you want to kick out and replace with Dexter Jetster right yeah or like in what role would Dexter Jetster be the best in? Okay, check this. Mm -hmm. I, so I think I'm going to answer both of those questions. For role that Dexter would be best in, I say replace Tycho. Imagine, like, Dexter Jetster, but everyone thinks he's an Imperial spy. <laughs> he knows all this shit about cloning secrets only the sith knew and he's like big and jovial and like friendly so like he's just trying Obi -Wan. to be one obi-wan and he gives you a big hug and you're like is he a spy he though pulls up his pants yeah <laughs> uh as for like worst character who i wanted i want to just kick out uh i want to say corin horn <laughs> but then it's just not the same oh, book God. anymore yeah. So I think instead um, I want to kick out uh I want to kick out um <laughs> I want to kick out Curtain Lore and I want to actually make <laughs> Dexter Jetster a spy. 
<laughs> that would be a weird the fucking The name's bug. Jetster. Dexter Jetster. I've got an... I, it's not quite an eidetic memory, but anything I see, I remember. <laughs> Which is, I think, <sighs> what Curtin Lore says. I think he denies... I've got that. a license to grill. God. Uh, I would... I would posit that the plot of the book would go much more smoothly if Dexter Jetster was in place of the Bothan general. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe Admiral Akbar, if, like, Wedge had to answer to Dexter Jetster the whole book. (laughs) Uh, This is good. I don't, maybe there's not a single character in this book that you couldn't improve. By turning into I have, I now have a, a theory that there's no character in any Star Wars book that you couldn't improve by replacing them with Dexter Jetster. <laughs> uh, I might come back to this question next book. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. All right, that's it for emails. Right. Again, you can send your emails into uh, Dianoga Squadron at gmail dot com. Yeah. Um. That was X-Wing Rogue Squadron. Mm. Thank you, Olivia, for being on to talk about it and flying on this mission with me. (laughs) You're welcome. I have a lot of fun talking about Star Wars with you, even though I don't like to read the Star Wars books that I read. Or watch Star Wars, I think. No, I watch Star Wars and have fun. Um, Anyway, uh... As of right now, this podcast com- com- is going to come out every three weeks. We might adjust that based on what we're reading. Um, I have some ideas about some shorter things we might get into that will turn it into a bi-weekly mm-hmm. podcast. It'll probably never be weekly. Um, yeah, God, no. Because I do this for me. <laughs> this is fun for me. This is not... I don't, I'm not getting... I'm kind of getting paid for this because there's a Patreon. But, like, you know, uh, I'm not going to give myself too much work here. Mm-hmm. Uh, our next book is X-Wing Wedge's Gamble. Ooh, Wedge's Trick. So, Wedge's Trick? Come learn about Wedge's Trick in three weeks. If you've got someone on your tail on the internet, where are they following you to? <laughs> Hold on, this is a tactically bad question if, for me to answer. If people, if people want to lock on to you online, <laughs> where, how should they calibrate their... This is so threatening. <laughs> this is so threatening, but my Twitter is at Great Grieb, which is a type of bird. Okay. Grieb 2, standing do do by. Any... <laughs> do you have any other podcasts you want to plug? Uh, you should listen to the other podcast that we record together, which is We Are the Champions, where we read a random... Where, you know, every time we record, we pick a random League of Legends character and then we read their lore and and sort of talk about it critically. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, League of Legends is a fucking ridiculous world thing. Between that and Star Wars, I'm really getting a a good view on corporate owned uh, world building. Uh, do you do any other podcasts? Uh, I also do uh, Novel Not New, which is a visual novel slash narrative games uh, book club. Uh, we are our current next or the next episode that's going to be coming out is our episode on Return of the Oberdin. 
Uh, so the, the, that's, you know, the kind of games that we play there. Uh, and then finally, I do a podcast with my friend Hannah called Do Not Steal, where we sort of critique uh, tabletop games, and then we make OCs using tabletop games and talk about them. Nice. Those are my podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at NeitherNora. Uh, you can find stuff I do at NoraBlake.online. This podcast is on the Export Audio Podcast Network. Uh, which you can support at exportaud.io or just patreon.com slash exportaudio. Um, even just a dollar gets you access to bonus shows for various things like um, Duo Lane that Olivia and I do, which is usually just us hanging out or bullshitting. Uh, it, it can sometimes be discourse. I think we did discourse once, we did but sometimes it's just us playing once. Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. you killed me in Minecraft by mining the fucking ground out from under me and making me fall in a pit of lava. Yeah, well, I'm uh, not responsible for any injuries sustained in the caves. <laughs> um, and also, like, Import Audio, which is the bonus show that Curly and I do, uh, where we sometimes talk about card games or uh, do deep critical reads of proto-men songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, other podcasts I do include Journal Updated on the Abnormal Mapping Network, where Molly and I play through games that give you narrative choices. Uh, we're about to, well, not about to, but later this month we'll be recording an episode on the Banner Saga. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's us. You can find us online, follow us, do all the stuff. Um, give us money. Yeah, give us money. If you have to pick one, give us money. Yes, I'd rather you be... Mm, do I want money more or the following follower number to go up more? Money. <laughs> money. You can buy followers if you really want to. Oh, that's true. So yeah, give us money. <laughs> um, Like I said, three weeks from now, Wedges Gamble. Uh, do I have... A sign-off for this podcast? You could, I mean, there's an obvious one. May the force be with you? Yeah, you could just say, until next time, may the force be with you. (laughs) Or you could say, until the next time, thank the light. (laughs) We also read a third of or roughly a third. <laughs> I read a third. I don't know if you read any more. I I started Wars, a little bit Light more. of the Jedi. Yes. Of Star Wars Light of the Jedi, the first book in the High Republic um by my new arch enemy Charles Soule. <laughs> we did read a third of that book. We were like, "Oh, maybe I'm- we also read this for the podcast. Maybe we briefly have like an aside where we talk about this cool new thing." Uh, that the Disney Corporation has has granted us in their div- infinite divine wisdom. Um, it's the first book in like two years that I've stopped reading because I didn't like it. I mean, I stopped so reading much. all books eventually, but whether or not I finish them is a different thing. You're so fucking cheeky. <laughs> you think you're so smart. Yeah. You're just like a boffin. You have that arrogance. <laughs> I found the plans to the Death Star, and ever since... <laughs> okay, but I do want to talk about Light of the Jedi a little bit. Yes. So this is... We're, we're going to talk about spoilers for this brand new release, but only for the first third, because 
That's as far as I've gotten, and that's as far as Olivia's going to get. So, it's a very Disney book. And what I mean is, sometimes you watch a Disney movie as an adult with a critical uh, thinking capacity, and you go, oh, this is just propaganda created to, like, inure children to the worst things about our world. Right, Um, like cars. my little... That's a Pixar. Owned by Disney. Okay. I think Fair. Cars was made by Disney. Like, Disney Pixar. So, like, my littlest sister, God bless her heart, she loves the movie The Descendants. Mm-hmm. The Descendants is a movie about how some people live in the ghetto. And they need to stay in the ghetto. Because they're inherently criminal and evil. And they can't be let out of the ghetto to interact with normal society. However, there are some model minorities who are good enough to get out and go to an expensive private school on scholarships. As long as they can prove that they're not inherently criminal and evil like their parents, family, and friends who are trapped in the magic ghetto. Is this Um, the one that's about, like, the children of various Disney villains? Yes. Getting off the island that, in this setting, all of the Disney villains and their, like, friends and family are trapped on by a magic barrier. And going to, like, the the fancy prep school where the sons and daughters of all the Disney heroes get to go to. Right. And this is different from the line of things that is the children of famous monsters. Like Draculaura. I mean, probably Monst- like, Monster no, no, dra- no Dracula children show up. <laughs> um, yeah, the Descendants are so fucked. But in the, anyway, this is the High Republic. Like, this is what this book is. Like, it is just this book about how fucking sick it was when we could all come together as a society to do our colonialism and focus like all of our violence um, on the on the. Um, on the the imperial borders and the marginalized people within our borders, um, and it's just it's it's disgusting. Like it's very very fascist. There's so much shit. Like like I, I like I'm having trouble like picking a moment and just drilling into it. Like well every which... every moment of the book in the first act is drilling home in the narrative voice and the character voice. That they are living in a golden age of the Republic. I don't know how you measure the fact that you're in a golden age when you're in it. Um, well, some might say that golden ages don't actually exist and it is only in, through the lens of nostalgia that such ages exist at all. Um, but everyone knows that the Republic has entered into a higher state. That it is, mm-hmm. it is a prosperous and fair and like, harmonious government of trillions of beings and you know we all we are all the republic is the line that's like the party line that the chancellor so has um sort of put forth for everyone and everyone says that when they are putting themselves on the line for the for the greater good for the republic um and again 
that's not real. Golden ages don't exist, and especially not when you think you're in one. But also this golden age is defined entirely by, like, all of the energy of the Republic being, like, turned outwards towards, like, colonial expansion. Yes. Um, it's exp- or more imperial expansion. It's, it's not quite colonial. It's imperial expansion. It is specifically people... It is also colonial expansion because the the book starts with people like leaving to go live out on the frontier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's yeah, that fair. it's like... the growth of culture, by which I mean the growth of the sphere of influence of culture is like they push the republic out and they like expand mm-hmm. its borders and its influence. And the it's they the... made a giant space white house that they're going to fire in, into the into the like imperial borders, you know? Yeah, they're going to launch a white house into the outer rim so that it's like a second Jedi temple that um from which they can, you know, it's like playing Zerg in StarCraft. You got to get more creep on the ground so you can move your units. They they need more <laughs> they need to break that fog of war. Um but like it's also this time of immense capitalist growth of like all these mega corporations funding all these exploratory ventures into unmapped or partially mapped space. There's a planet in this. There's a planet in that, like in the last chapter I read, which in the narrative voice is described to be composed of three, three things, mega factories slum towns of people who work in the factories and then like like bougie bougie outposts of people who are exploiting the factories and the people who work in them and that is just completely like it's just a thing that exists and is not commented on except when there's like a guy who only owns like one factory and a few spaceships who's set up as like the good one He's the woke you know? boss who understands that labor comes from the workers, but like mm-hmm. is still which is why which is why when something bad happens, you should load them up like cattle onto your spaceships and just take them off world away from families. all of their homes and their families. Uh, well, the woke to, boss. he thinks he's helping. He thinks they're all going to go off planet and avoid the disaster. And it's repercussions. And then they can set up somewhere else or they can, like, come back later. Uh, and instead they find the Joker fleet. <laughs> yes, and the bad guys are a bunch of, like, permanently criminal, like, complete psychopaths who don't believe in anything but fucking killing and murder. But also in the Republic, like, nobody has, like... Nobody but the soldiers have, like, actual, like... It's only, like, soldiers... There's, like, not really a military, but soldiers in, like, Jedi and these, like, guys who run the Republic ships that you see. Like, this sort of, like, professionalized military class and also the professionalized, like, civil service class. And those guys just have, like, this ridiculous, like, devotion to duty. But everyone else is out to fucking, like, kill and murder each other in the Republic. And you see this multiple times. (sighs) It's like the Jedi. The Jedi have to step in because there's, like, a guy who has hired private security to, like, stand on the walls of his house and gun down refugees while he, like, gets in his big spaceship and goes off planet. And also loads all of his goods. Mm-hmm. Because rather than try and carry more people off world, he's protecting his wealth. 
And then, like, these raiders come in and start shooting at the refugees, and one of the Jedi is like, killing people is the worst thing you could possibly do. He said, like, having five seconds ago, talk to these private security guards who were getting ready to shoot refugees. Like, just no Mm -hmm. understanding of what's happening. And then when the security guards start shooting at the Jedi while they're fighting the Marauders, the Jedi Master is like, you must not get mad at them. They're only trying to to carve out uh, a piece of stability and control in a a stressful time. And it's like, so what are the fucking guys who are trying to get on the ship with a gun doing? You know? (laughs) Like... Those guys are the height of evil. The private security guys... Uh, They're listen. doing their jobs, you see? They're, They're t- basically yeah. like cops. They're just stressed. They shoot refugees to cope. Um, also, the whole also book the ge- so far has just been a, a 9-11 allegory. Mm-hmm. Um, which it took me a little while to realize. Because it is just all about an aircraft that has uh, impacted in a populated area. Having to do with... Lots of trade between worlds. Uh, and then it is like occurring at this end of history moment that is uh, going to shake the Republic into a new uh, mode. I didn't even think about it, but that's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The also, Bean nightmare. Dad is in it. There's a fucking Jedi who acts like Bean Dad. <laughs> There's a fucking Bean Dad Jedi. His name is Logan just- Great Storm. And his teaching method is to just make Bell do everything. And he mm-hmm. does. And he fails sometimes, but, you know, Great Storm is He's... always there to pick up, pick up the slack and save him from splattering on the ground after jumping out of a spaceship. You know, all the stuff that you might expect a mentor to do. <laughs> but he always makes when, Bell like... do stuff first before doing it himself. Mm-hmm. And, it's and like, Bell says, like, I am so fucking tired every day. Every, like... Every free moment that I'm not in tutelage, I'm either asleep or, like, otherwise trying to recover from the most stressful day of my life. It's fine, though. It's fine, though. I I think Bell Zedifar is going to be a a major character if he survives this book. He's going to be, like, a main character of the High Republic era. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I've completely, like... I I mean, the launch trailer was bad. The whole thing seemed... (laughs) Ah, ah... Then once we're done with this podcast, I have to show you, like, the incredible, like, Japanese teen representation Jedi that they put in that trailer. Because it's mm. really fucking stupid. Um, but it's like, when they launched it, and they're like, oh, it's our fucking, we're making Marvel movies, but for Star Wars books. It's like, God, you guys are so fucking stupid, but whatever. Like, I was ready for, I was ready for these books to be, like, Disney fascism propaganda but just kind of like on the down low while they have this you know like veneer of like fun adventure books but it's just so fucking blatant yeah we didn't talk about when the chancellor says you need to choose heritage over progress what well, technically that happens in act two but yeah, yeah she there's one point in coruscant where there's a mountain that is like the peak of it is the only part of the planet you can still see after the urban growth has covered everything from pole to pole and it shows that like she took comfort in like i don't i can have i can pull up the line i can just pull up the line because i sent it to jackson mm-hmm. um it remained, though, the benefit of the choice made generation after generation to preserve the mountain, even in this attenuated form. Lena so appreciated that. The way the societies could choose heritage over progress, represented here in Living Stone. Like, 
Heritage over progress. That's when was the last when was the last time you heard an American say heritage? Uh, well, when I did, uh, the dog nearby started barking. <sighs> so this I book seems sucks. like a nightmare disaster. I'm going to finish it because um, I think Jackson and I are going to do a podcast on it. And I want to see how bad it gets. But like the ideology is jumping off the page from moment one. Mm-hmm. And it's just fucking I just I just wanted I just wanted apparently what I want is like the prequel era books that you that you grew up on like <laughs> i just want a jedi and i want a padawan and i want them bopping around and doing fucking video game quests and like yeah yeah know, just you like should... getting into adventures like the the kids books the jedi apprentice and jedi quest series are that and they're pretty good so if you can if you have the patience for like a very short like kids book that isn't going to be super mm-hmm. in depth uh, those are i remember those being pretty good and some of the other like Clone Wars and other prequels era normal books uh, of that mm-hmm. era, I remember liking a lot. Um, so just have a f- also like what I wanted out of the High Republic was what if we uh, like reformed the old Republic stuff from old canon into the new canon and like streamlined mm-hmm. it a little bit, made it a little less, less egregious because it was like four thousand years before the movies. It's mm-hmm. Like it doesn't need to be that big of a timeline. Hmm. Star Wars is kind of too small, though. Like that was always they the really thing. They really made Star it too Wars. small because all nine movies are just about one guy. Hmm. Um. Just, uh, now, hold on. All that said, though, does kind of whip. Uh, that the the lady spins her lightsaber to concentrate when she, she uses hovers the force. it in front of her and makes it spin it because like the lightsaber hum when you when you swing it it just keeps going forever and she speeds it up until it reaches a specific pitch that helps her focus and it's really fucking cool. That's like okay, fair, fair, okay, Charles, you there's have a, one good idea. There's a Padawan in the kids book that came out alongside this who has a light whip. That's just standard. I still can't handle that. <laughs> like, shut the fuck up. That's old shit. That's Lumia had that in the EU. Yeah, yeah. It's cool as hell. She's been nuked now. Don't talk about her. <laughs> Disney nuked the EU. <laughs> Disney nuked the EU. You can't talk about that. Uh, yeah, that book sucked. I think that's all we have to say about um, High Republic uh, colon the light of the jedi i think i'm gonna cut this and put it at the end of the episode as like a little like a post episode thing because it's good that we we talked about it first but i want the i kind of like want to like segment it does that make sense all right if you can cut it go for it i'm yeah. not editing i don't yeah. care i'll do whatever <laughs> <It'll be laughs> i don't give a shit <laughs>